This is recording number 10939 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, August 28, 2011. This is the 21st message in the series titled, Doctor's Gospel. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Forgiveness. to Luke chapter 17. And we're going to continue our study that we've called the doctor's gospel because the author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of this book, Luke, was a medical doctor, a physician. And we are taking the approach that uh, I believe Luke did when he was uh, writing these words, listening for or looking for or paying attention to the heart of Jesus. This is not just the history of what happened in Jesus' life and ministry, what he said, what others said about him. This is not just a history. It is, I believe, an, a, a glimpse into the heart of our Savior. The other night, actually I guess it was about three weeks ago, we had our staff supervisors meeting here. And a, as you might imagine, there are a number of people who uh, help oversee various aspects of our church's ministry. And uh, every other month, that group gets together. And the alternating months, uh, just our pastoral team gets together. And we want to make sure that we're continuing to um, communicate well and that we're listening not only to each other, but to Jesus. This is his church. And we want to be able to be sure that we're in sync with what he's doing. So anyway, three weeks ago when we had that meeting, I was struck by, once again, not, not that it was something that I wouldn't have been aware of before, but it's just one of those things you, you kind of take for granted until all of a sudden you're not taking it for granted. And that um, moment, it just occurred to me how grateful I was that all of the people sitting around that table... I had a good relationship with. There wasn't anybody... How many of you have to go to meetings for your, your work or your employment? One of the least favorite things in all my, all my life was going to, to meetings. In fact, well, I, shoot, I hate that. You know, I, get, I, I start down these little rabbit trails, and then it's like if I pull back, then you're wondering where I was going. So I'll go there, and then we'll just try to make it short. What I started to say is, in fact... Uh, for one period of my life, when I was uh, bivocational, I was planting a church and working outside the church at the same time. I had the opportunity to dictate. It was an amazing thing, but I had an opportunity to dictate the terms of my employment. How many of you get that chance very often? And I, uh, I made it part of the requirement that they could still employ me. <laughs> that I didn't have to go to any meetings. And it was awesome, I'll tell you. I loved that. Um, but anyway, one of the reasons why they're distasteful is you can sit around um, a table or in a, in a conference room with a bunch of people that don't all like each other. They have said things about each other that you've been privy to and you're never quite sure who you can say what to because they might be offended by that. You always have to watch what you say. You have to, you know, just all these kind of competing dynamics. It's amazing anything gets done in this country. 
<laughs> but I was sitting, I was just struck, sitting in that room with these leaders in our church and just so grateful that there wasn't any of that kind of undertow or subterfuge or, you know, I didn't have to worry about what I said or didn't say. I knew those people loved me and I loved them. And, uh, man, I, I just, I thank God for that. Um, but we all know when it's not the case. And, and uh, the truth is, in many of the venues of, of our life, that's, that's not the case. How many of you have neighbors that don't get along with each other? I remember I lived in, when we lived in San Jose and I was pastoring down there. We had a lady about five doors down that nobody liked. She was like the one that, you know, she was like the uh, trash can Nazi. I mean, she, if you left your cans out more than 24 hours, she had the city on your doorstep. You know, that lady. Yeah. So it's like in every, every other venue of our life, we can uh, encounter this kind of stuff. And we just live with it and we don't pay much attention to it. But what if all of that was gone? <clears throat> What would life be like? I mean, we can't even imagine it. But just think for a minute. How would life be different if I knew that every person I was going to encounter in my day really liked me? I didn't have to measure or be careful about what I said or didn't say. I didn't have to wonder, well, can I... Can I invite those people over to my house at the same time that I invite these people? Because I don't know if they get there. What if all of that stuff were just gone? What? Like I said, we can't even imagine it because it's so far removed from our, our reality. But I want to talk to you today about this subject under the, under the label of forgiveness. Because, dear ones, if we're going to get any closer to that kind of world, it will be because we forgive. Chapter 17 of the book of Luke, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come. That word offenses in the Greek, Greek is the word we get scandal from. Jesus is saying it's impossible for us to, in this world, experience what I was describing for. It's impossible that no offenses should come. We're, we just have to kind of get over the fact that this is the consequences, the result of sin in this world. But, woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Yikes! Jesus is saying, look, let's be real here. This is a broken world. We're going to be dealing with the fallout of sin and it's going to mean that people don't get along, that things are said that shouldn't be said. But don't be the one who's responsible for those offenses. He says, if you are, I'm coming after you. That's pretty intense. Makes you want to think before you speak. Makes you want to put a guard on your heart that you don't let your heart go places in terms of how you're feeling about other people that are ungodly, that are not right, unrighteous. 
I, I'm the oldest of four boys, and so I was always the one. I never had anybody to turn to. When they, somebody was picking on me, I never had to say, well, I'll get my big brother after you. I didn't have that guy. I was the guy. <laughs> so my younger brothers, you know, they could, I'll get my big brother after you, and I always had to come to the rescue. I never had the guy that would come to my rescue. But here Jesus says, I'm coming to the rescue You mess with my little ones. I'm, I'm the one who's coming to their rescue. Makes you think twice, doesn't it? Those careless words that you throw around. The ways that you let your heart and mind begin to think and feel about people. Is there anybody in your world right now that you have a little trouble with? Let the words of Jesus. I, you know, this is strong, but it's, it's here. It's in the Bible. Because Jesus is concerned about this. About how we live amongst each other. And how we relate to each other. Verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. Now this is here and it's in the flow of the same paragraph. It just keeps flowing. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck. Take heed to yourselves. So just about the time you start thinking, yeah, you messed me over. My big brother's coming after you. Just, before, just about the time you start justifying the way that you are, your heart is positioned toward another person because they've wronged you. Jesus says, look at yourself in the mirror. Take heed to yourself. What he starts off this passage so directly addressing, we're going to find is not really the issue. He's, he's after you and me, not so much those who have hurt us. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Remember when Jesus was saying to uh, Peter... <clears throat> Uh, or, or actually, Peter posed the question. He says, well, how often should I forgive my brother? And Jesus says, well, or Peter says, he suggests nobly, honorably, thinking that this is going to impress Jesus. How many times should I forgive my neighbor if he messes me over? Seven times? And Jesus says, well, Peter, I don't say to you uh, forgive him seven times, but 70 times seven. Jesus was saying, there's no limit to the way that I want you to be forgiving towards one another. So he says, look at yourself in the mirror. If your brother sins against you. He's not talking to the brother who has sinned against you. He's talking to us. Those of us who have been sinned against. Because he's going to take care of. He's already said this. I'm going to take care of those who sinned against my little ones. That's my business. Revenge making sure that justice is served. That's my business. Yours is to look yourself in the mirror and when you've been sinned against, to forgive. And not just once. Not just twice. Not just three times. Not just four times. Not just five times. You get the point. Seven times. Now, you could say, okay, that's it. Seven times in 24-hour period, I'm done forgiven. If I were you, 
I wouldn't want to uh, debate that with Jesus. I think he's saying there's no limit. Again, he's saying, just like he said to Peter, there's no limit to the forgiveness that I'm asking you to offer to each other. Verse 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. (laughs) This is a tall order, Jesus. Increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. He's saying, you got all the faith you need. Don't whine to me (laughs) about your lack of faith here. You have all the faith you need. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? In other words, picture this. You're you're the master, you have servants. And in this case, we're talking probably about people who have um, pledged themselves in service to another one to work off a debt. They had no other way. They incurred the debt. And the only way that they could, you know, you couldn't just declare bankruptcy and walk away from it. You had to resolve the debt in some way. So what you did is you said, okay, I will work for you for, you know, for free, Till my debt is paid off. So you have that kind of a situation, master and servant. And the servant is out in the fields, attending to the herds of the flocks, comes in at night after doing so. And uh, uh, it says here, And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat. The servant comes in from a long day of labors in the field, and the master says, Oh, here, you've been working so hard. This has really been a tough day for you. I know this has been a very... You come in, you sit down, and you have a nice meal here. Verse 8, But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you may eat and drink? Isn't that more likely the scenario? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all these things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Let's make our way back through that passage and then, and then we'll uh, move, move on. Regarding forgiveness and its, and its uh, primacy in terms of how God wants for us to treat one another. I want you first of all to see that we don't get to throw stones. We don't get to to point fingers. He says, take heed to yourself. I know some of you sitting there are nursing unforgiveness. There's people who have wronged you or that you think have wronged you. Maybe uh, you know, horribly wronged you. Maybe you, are, you have convinced yourself that your, the bitterness or the unforgiveness that you hold toward them is well-deserved. But in light of what Jesus said, I want you to see that, dear one, it isn't. It isn't. And we've been through this before, but I'll just say it again. The only person that you're hurting by your unforgiveness is yourself. 
as when we continue to hold unforgiveness in our hearts, all we're doing is giving the person who hurt us in the first place ability to continue hurting us. Because we are the ones who drag around that unresolved conflict. We are the ones who drag around that bitterness, that self-pity. We're the only ones hurt by it, not them. Jesus said, look at yourself. You know, I've decided, this is, my, this is how I approach it. Every time I discover, and you know what, I've, I've hurt people. <laughs> I've probably hurt some of you. I don't mean to. I don't get up in the morning and think, let's see, how can I mess over Gabe today? I don't. I want to, I want to love and care for and be uh, you know, a friend and a pastor to, to you and to everyone I meet during the day. I don't, I don't intend to, to hurt people. But like Jesus said, look, I'm just as broken, I'm just as sin-scarred as anybody. And as I make my way through this world, I'm going to goof up. I'm going to hurt people. In fact, I remember Eileen Santana called me one day and asked to see me. And, you know, it's when you're a a pastor and somebody asks to make an appointment with you and they don't tell you what for. (laughs) It's not, it's like, it's like when your mom said, you wait till your dad gets home. You know, it's like that. But she came to see me and to tell me about how I had hurt her inadvertently. Uh, by the way that I had treated someone else. And, um, and what I did in, in handling a situation with another person, um, I don't take it back. In fact, I, today I'll, I would stand by what I did, but not the way I did it. And that's what hurt her. Just observing how I treated this other person hurt her. And she came and did the right thing. She came to see me and to put that out there and and I learned from that a lot. And I appreciate that a lot, Eileen. But we do this. We just, we don't mean to, but we hurt one another. This is all about what are we going to do when that happens. And I've decided, not just, it didn't just come from, from you know, my own head, but from the scripture here where Jesus said, take heed to yourself. I've decided that any time I encounter a situation where, I, where someone's upset with me or has a problem with me, it's always, the starting place is always my fault. I always start there. What have I done to cause this? Now, I'm not perfect at it. But I've learned that an awful lot of festering pain and conflict, the kind of stuff none of us wants in our lives. A lot of that stuff gets diffused when I simply do what Jesus says. Instead of pointing my fingers and looking at someone else, I look at myself. And I start there. What have I done to cause this? Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Sometimes people read that and they go, yes, God is giving me permission. Jesus is giving me permission to get in their face and rebuke you. You son of a gun. You messed me over and Jesus said I could tell you so. Well, I want you to know that this verse, or this, the, the word here, rebuke, this, this verb, in the Greek language, 
at its root is to give honor to. To set a valuation upon. It doesn't mean you don't tell people the truth. That's certainly part of what Jesus is saying here. But it comes from a foundation of I value this relationship so much. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to, I'm going to build a bridge here. I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to straighten this out. I am, I am bewildered. I, I, actually, I can't find the right word, but that's as close as I can get to how I actually feel. I am just bewildered by how many of us are willing to just discard relationships. Friends, neighbors, husbands and wives, parents and kids, you mess with me, done with you. I love you with the love of the Lord, but that's it. Don't we do that? You sit on your side of the of the church building, I'll sit on the other. I'll give you the polite shake of the hand, but that's it. I mean, people we have invested years into building something with, they wrong us, and we're done. I am just... Jesus is causing us to see in a very blunt fashion, he considers every single person valuable. And the relationships that he gives us with one another are to be treasured. And when there's something wrong, when something breaks down, it's worth it. Honor, set valuation upon these relationships. Don't discard them. They are worth Repairing, They are worth the price that you will have to pay, that they will have to pay in terms of humility and everything else that's going to have to be invested in restoring that relationship. They are worth it. Now, it's interesting here in verse 3 and 4, he says, uh, if he repents, for, uh, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. I know a lot of people that really want to hold Jesus to the technicality of that. If they repent. Because the toughest thing, the hardest, the number one hardest thing I know how to, or have ever had to do, the hardest thing I know any of us ever faces, is offering forgiveness to someone who does not acknowledge that what they've done has hurt you or was wrong. Worse yet, that they're still doing it. That is the toughest thing I know. And so we look to verse, this ver these verses. Sometimes people will say, well, Jesus told me I don't... They'll say, Jesus told me I don't have to forgive them if they don't repent. I don't see that there anywhere in the text. <laughs> and I would love, I would love to be a fly on the wall when you have that debate with Jesus. 
Yeah, I don't, but, but Jesus, he didn't repent. That's why I didn't forgive him. Mm-hmm. Jesus, the one of whom the scripture says, died for us while we were yet sinners. That one, you're going to have this argument with him? Well, they didn't repent, so I didn't forgive them. <laughs> I, I don't think so. When Jesus was talking about this thing of, you know, even in one day, if they, if they sin against you seven times, every time you offer forgiveness to them, forgive, 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 forgive. One of the things that is often missed in, in that when we consider Jesus' um, commands regarding forgiveness is that part of the reason why he said both to Peter and in this situation here, that we offer forgiveness on an ongoing basis is because forgiveness often has to be administered in waves. Unforgiveness comes off in layers. Sometimes the, the bitterness, oftentimes the bitterness, the, the unforgiveness has become so encrusted and so deep, it's become multi-layered. And we've lost, sometimes we lose track of even why it's there. And so when we, come to the, when we come to this place where we decide, Jesus, I am not going to continue to live this way. I'm going to honor you by offering forgiveness to people or to this person. Sometimes, you know, just that initial, I forgive you. As sincere and as heartfelt and as um, faith-filled as it may be, uh, may not be enough. I remember one time I was at a, a pastor's conference. But as the thing progressed, and, you know, we were all for several days, we were worshiping God and hearing preachers open the word of God to us and that kind of thing. I, I felt disconnected somehow. It was really bothering me. I, I was there, but I, I really wasn't sensing the Lord in the way that I knew I needed to. I needed to uh, experience his presence, and I wasn't. And... I remember walking back to my hotel room just, God, what is wrong? What's, what's up? And, and like this, the way the Lord does this. I mean, this happens. You've experienced this before. Just like that, I knew. <laughs> I didn't want to know, <laughs> but I knew. I was holding unforgiveness toward, toward a very significant person in my life. Now, it's one of those things like we talked about last week. You ever caught yourself lying to yourself? Well... I had, I had deceived myself into thinking that it all was cool. I was doing this thing where they, I love you with the love of the Lord. Just don't call me, you know. <laughs> uh, but the Lord, you know, that doesn't <laughs> cut it with Jesus. And he was holding me accountable to his character, to his values. I claim to be a Christian. And Christ forgives. And he wasn't going to let me get off the hook with this. Not only because it was the best thing for his kingdom, but it was the best thing for me. And I got back to my hotel room. I got down on my knees and I just, I, I wanted this to be, I didn't want it to be flippant. you know. So I got down on my knees, kneeling by the bed there. 
And I started to think back through my relationship with this person, and I, I brought up very specific things. I was in, a, in an environment of prayer, but I was really kind of talking to myself, and I was saying, you know, I, I, I forgive for this. And I was very specific. I'd, I'd fill in the blank. I forgive you for this, for that. Now, I wasn't saying anything to the person, and in fact, I never did. And let's just be clear about that. Sometimes it's not appropriate to go to somebody and say, Hey, you know what? The way you really messed me over, I'm going to forgive you for that. <laughs> May not be the best idea. Sometimes people use that just to dig it in even further, don't they? Oh. Anyway, I did that. I got up from my knees, and you know what? There was a lightness, there was a lifting of this thing that had been on me, and I enjoyed the rest of the conference and you know, really got to sense God's presence. But about two weeks later, I was starting to feel that same thing again, just going through my regular routine at home, and I, now what? What's up? And to make a long story short, the Lord says, We've got more to do. Well, I already forgave. All right. <laughs> you know, and, and I got down on my knees and then I started to cough up all this other vile, or I don't know what you call it, that I had towards this person. It's surprising how much crud you can stuff down into your soul. And you can't get it sometimes all out in one fell swoop. It comes off in layers. That's why Jesus said, forgive, 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 forgive. Forgive. Well, at what point do you stop? Here's, here's what I figured out. If you don't remember anything else today, here's what I figured out. How do you know when you've really reached the bottom and you've forgiven somebody? When you don't feel that <clears throat> anymore. <clears throat> you know, when you hear their name, when you see them on the street, when, they, when, you, see their, when you see their phone number come up on your phone, that... Mm, you know, as long as that's still there, <laughs> you got more work to do. But I can tell you that that person that I was just describing, the relationship I had with them, and the process of forgiveness that God took me through, I can tell you today I do not have that <clears throat> in me anymore. But it had to come off in layers. So forgive, forgive, forgive. Finally, this passage that is pretty, I don't know, this is all pretty strong. And I'll tell you, I was tempted. There's a, I have to pick and choose here because there's so much. A little, I want a little empathy here. There's so much in these passages that we could, I could spend the rest of my life teaching out of this book. And so I, I have to kind of pick and choose. And I was very tempted to pass over this. I would have, honestly, I was really wanting to talk about the ten lepers. Such a nice story. <laughs> but I, I knew, we, 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 I needed, I needed, and that's how I'm making these choices. This is what I needed. So I'm hoping maybe some of you did too. So then there's this section between verses 5 and 10, where Jesus tells this story and it seems really cold. Because you know he's putting himself in the role of the master. It's not specifically stated, but it's implied. He's the master, we're the servants. And he's saying, look, 
If you have that kind of a situation, you're the master and you have a servant and they come in from a hard day's work, you don't go, oh, well, you know, I'm so sorry you had to work so hard today. Here, let me help you out. Let me serve you. He said, no, the expectation is this is your job. You, you, you work all day because you're paying off a debt and you come in and your, your job is to make sure that I and my family are taken care of and served. Then you can eat. Uh, this is your job. Dear ones, we often excuse ourselves because we say, well, you don't know what they did to me. And I don't. But Jesus does. And there's, he didn't qualify any of this by saying, this is all for everybody except you because I know how badly you were hurt. No. Disciples say, oh, we don't have enough faith for that. Increase our faith. You have all the faith you need. Yeah, but you know, this forgiveness thing is hard work, Jesus. You know, you, you, you forgive somebody. You go to them and you do the hard thing of making things right with a person you've wronged or, or however it is. And then it's like, I hope I get some kind of merit badge for this, Jesus. This was tough. And Jesus is saying, look, no, this is, this is just what we do. This is our duty. This is how we live as Christians. This is our job. To demonstrate the love of Jesus in every situation of life. 